Genesis, very, very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter number 7. The old Puritan pastor by the name of Richard Baxter during the course of his ministry wrote a great many things, especially a great many things as related to the ministry. And he has long been a favorite of a lot of preachers so far as him giving counsel to, to preachers. Personally, I think the greatest statement that he ever made is one that I try to remember every week and uh, especially planning on being absent the next couple of weeks and, uh, and not being here with you. I think about the statement he made, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. If we preachers would keep that in mind every single time that we stand behind the pulpit and open the Bible, every time that we preach the Word of God, if we would remember that, that this just might be the last time that we have the opportunity to preach, it might be the last time some folks have the opportunity to hear. We just are not able to look into the future and to see what tomorrow holds, so we need to capitalize on every opportunity, and I want to do that this morning. Genesis chapter number 7, I want you to look at three verses in this chapter, and then we'll talk about it. Genesis chapter 7, verse number 1. And the Lord said, so you already know something good is about to happen. You already know something important is about to be stated The Lord said, so this is not Brother Stone, this is not a message from man, this is a message from God himself. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Wow, that says so much. A man who is righteous in that wicked generation. Now, verse number 7. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now, verse number 16. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Nearly everyone here is familiar with the story of the flood, but very few, I think, really understand the full significance of this, and hopefully that will change this morning. When we think about the flood, first of all, we need to remember that this is something that is historical. By that, I mean that it really did happen. We have not only the declaration of God's Word that it happened, but there is evidence from science that a flood happened and water covered the earth. So 
This is something that is historical. It's something that is universal. It was not a local flood, but it was something wherein the water covered the entire earth. It's universal. It was also something that was predicted. It's not something that just happened. It was something that God predicted, something that Noah had proclaimed. And then we see that when the time was right, that it came suddenly, but it was not without warning because Noah had been proclaiming God's message to those people, and suddenly it came up on them unaware. They knew it was going to happen, or at least they knew he said it would happen, but as you know, not many actually believed. Now, just as God's judgment will be sudden, this was a sudden event overwhelming them, and the Lord tells us that in the coming of the Lord, it'll be as it was in the days of Noah. There'll be two in the field, and one will be taken and one left. There'll be two in the bed, and one taken and the other one left. But it'll be like it was in that day, and they were eating and drinking and making merry, going about life in their normal routine as though nothing was going to really change. And all of a sudden, they found themselves... In destruction. There's so much that could be said about Noah and about the flood. We literally could spend hours talking about this and it'd be easy for us to get lost in all of the details of it, but we're not even going to let that happen this morning because there are some fundamental basic things that I want to point out and I want you to focus in this morning on four obvious things about that time in history. First of all, look at verse number 1 again, and we see that there is a gracious reception. Notice the Lord said, come thou. Now, you can, you can view that as an invitation where the Lord is inviting Noah and the others into the ark. Come thou. So he is inviting them. That's an invitation. But you can also think of it as being a command from the Lord. And by the way, it tells us in the book of Acts chapter number 17 that God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So you see, until a person has trusted Christ as their Savior, regardless of whatever else they might be doing, they're living in rebellion against God. If they never committed any other sin, they're living in rebellion against God. A lot of folks have the idea, you know, if I could just stop this and if I could start that and if I could develop good character, if I could be a good person and all of that, there wouldn't be any reason for God to, you know, to send me to a devil's hell. But that's where you're wrong because all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And until you receive Christ as your Savior, you are rebelling against the command. He is commanding all men everywhere to repent. So, this is an invitation. This is a command. But I want you to notice there's something even, I think, more important about this. And I want you to think of it as a reception. You'll notice he says to Noah, come into the ark. He, he doesn't tell Noah, go into the ark. He says, come into the ark. He uses the word come because it's an, it's a, 
It's a reception. In other words, he is wanting him to come to where God was. It's as though God is saying, I'm in the ark and I want you to come to me. That's where I am. Come to me. I'm so glad this morning that the God who created heaven and earth, the God the God who sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, I am so glad that He's willing to receive whosoever. What a great God He is to think about that. When we think about our wickedness and the fact that He will receive us, in fact, the Bible tells us in no uncertain terms, as many as He that receive Him, He receives. We're made accepted in the Beloved. He doesn't turn away any. So here is a glorious reception, God inviting us to Himself. But notice there's a great response in verse number 7, and Noah went in. In in other words, he did exactly what God told him to do. He received the reception, the invitation, obeyed the command, and he went in. Notice it doesn't say that he went near. You know, he spent all of this time now working on the ark, and he could have gone up to it and he could have stood there admiring his handiwork. He could have said, boy, I'll tell you what, there's nobody going to be able to beat this. Just look at this. I mean, I, I have really made something here that will make an impression on people. They've never seen anything like this. There's never been a need for anything like this. But, but he could have got ever so close. He could have even touched the ark and laid his hands on the ark. And yet it would have been to no avail. The Lord told him to come into the ark, and the Bible says he went in. Moses, or or Noah, and the other people, by the way, could have all said, you know, this is such a great feat. I think somebody ought to compose a song about it. I mean, you know, we write songs about everything else, don't we? Somebody write a song. And, And so they could have all gathered together and with the song already composed, and they could have begun singing or maybe, just maybe, they could have said, you know, we we need to study this thing. And so we're going to have Bible classes every week. We're going to study the ark. By the way, that is so amazing. I, I mean, just the dimensions alone, and for all of those years, people thinking about the dimensions of the ark. And now do you know that those that is almost exactly the same sort of dimension? I'm talking about... The ratio, uh, you know, the width is to the height and to the length and what have you, that, that when you put it all together, it, it's exactly what shipbuilders use today. I mean, God knew what He was doing, naturally. And they said, we're going to study it. We're going to study the kind of wood that it's made out of. We're going to, we're going to study the dimensions of it. We're going to study, you know, all of the architectural you know, quirks about it and everything. And so week after week after week, they could have studied about the ark. And Noah could have, you know, taught, this is what I did and this is how I did it. And uh, you would have had a, you know, a building full of experts about the ark. 
And they could have gone out from there lecturing in all places of the world. Let me tell you about the ark. Do you understand that that is exactly what a lot of people are doing today when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? We sing about Him and we teach about Him, but we never actually come to Him as our Lord and our Savior. And we're not one bit better off than Noah would have been had he been standing there with his hand on the ark, singing songs of admiration about the ark and writing poetry describing the ark. All of that would have been in vain, and even so, it's in vain until we come to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, until we are in Christ. The Bible says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. He is in us and we are in Him. We have to be in Christ in order to be saved. There's no other way. So here is a great response to a glorious reception. God says, come to me, and notice, Noah went in. Now notice verse number 16. Here we see a glorious refuge. He says, the Lord shut him in. In other words, God closed the door. For some, that meant salvation. For those on the inside, this is salvation. They were now in a safe, secure place. The ark had been pitched within and without, so it was waterproof. The buoyancy of the ark is ideal for what it has to face. Everything about it is perfection so far as man is concerned, and when the time was right, it says, and God shut the door, the Lord shut him in. Salvation for those on the inside, but it means separation from those on the outside. When the Lord said to come into the ark, he's saying, come to me. That's where God was. But for those on the outside, when the door shut... It was all over for them. And all of this is a picture of Christ being the way to salvation. And just as there was only one ark, and there was only one door, even so, Jesus is the only way to eternal life. It wasn't enough to just know about the ark. It wasn't enough to just teach about it or sing about it. They had to get on board Noah went in. He was on board. And the question is, are you on board? It's an old song called The Old Ship of Zion. And it pictures this very thing, you know, that we need to... And I always think about George Johns, the bass singer, you know, and he'd get down to that... On board part, and that low voice, get on board. And, and there's a lot of people singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus. Very educated. They can quote many verses from the Bible. 
They know that He was born of a virgin. He lived a virtuous life, died a vicarious death. They know that He ascended back into heaven visibly, and someday He's coming back to reign upon the earth. And they know all of these facts, but they've never really come to Him as their Lord and as their Savior. The ark was safe because He was where God was. The Bible tells us in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelled among us, and we beheld His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Son of God. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only place wherein you and I can be made perfectly safe. So here they are within the refuge that God has provided for them. Are you in that safe place this morning? And that brings me down to the last thing that I want you to think about. Now, keep in mind, there is this glorious reception awaiting all of those that come to Christ. God's saying, I'm willing to receive you. He promised that He would not turn His back on any who come to Him. Jesus said, He that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And we need to respond just as Noah responded by coming to the Lord just as the Lord commanded. And that brings us down to a good reminder. In all of this story, we see a good reminder. I started out by saying that this is historical. It's something that really happened. But understand that the Bible is very clear about the fact that this is more than just a historical record, you know, of something that happened in the ancient past. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, those things that were written aforetime, that is the Old Testament, they were written for our learning, for our admonition. In other words, God intends for us to learn from those examples out of history certain spiritual truths. So God doesn't want us to just use our time this morning speaking about, you know, this glorious subject of the ark and not to make any spiritual application. And we need to make an application, a personal application, because just as it was then, so it is now. This is one of the things we need to remember. Wrath is coming. Wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. So many times we get the idea that people have gotten by with their sins. I've heard people say, you know, if the Lord doesn't judge America real soon, that He's going to owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Let me tell you, God doesn't have to apologize to anyone for anything because God has never made a mistake. And you mark it down... We'll get what's coming. There's a payday someday. Nobody ever sins successfully. There is a day of judgment coming. And we need to understand that if you're here and you've never actually received Christ as your Lord and Savior, one of these days you'll stand there at the great white throne judgment of God, not to see whether or not you're saved, but you'll stand there for your final condemnation. 
And make no mistake about it, God will remind you of every opportunity you ever had to trust Christ as your Savior. You'll be reminded of every gospel message you ever heard. Those loved ones who witness to you in that day will rise up against you and testify as to the fact that they tried to warn you. Wrath is coming. That's fact number one. Number two, there's a way out. A way has been provided. What a terrible thing it would be to think about God pronouncing judgment upon the world, that His wrath is going to be poured out upon all of the earth, just as it was back then, and for there to be no way out. I don't understand these people that, you know, wonder to themselves and even express it at times how how a God of love could also be a God of judgment. Well, really, that's easy to understand. And that's the fact that God is holy. And because God is holy, He has to be a God of wrath also. There has to be judgment. But if you're wondering about the love of God, listen... You can't blame God because God has provided a way of salvation for every man, woman, boy, and girl on the face of the earth. There's no reason for anybody to die and go to hell. Absolutely no reason because every person that receives Christ as their Savior could be saved. It's not God's fault if they're not saved. It's our fault. There is a way out. And then number three warnings have been given you think about you think about Noah and the fact for 120 years this man was a preacher of righteousness this man was proclaiming the word of god this man was warning the world now obviously they didn't listen but a warning had been given and i don't think there's anyone here in this building this morning that could say you know honestly say Nobody ever tried to warn me. You've attended Sunday school. Your Sunday school teacher have stood there week after week after week with an open Bible, giving you one warning after another. You've sat in the worship service. You've heard Brother Kenneth and I again and again and again warn you that there is a day of judgment approaching. For some of you, your mom and your dad have given you personal warnings. Maybe it was grandma and grandpa. Maybe it was a co-worker, a friend, somebody that cared enough about you that they tried to warn you to flee from the wrath to come. And you didn't listen. And I want to remind you that one of these days, God, just as He shut the door then we'll shut the door and your day of opportunity will be over. So the question is, what will you do? What will you do seeing that God's going to shut the door? Because someday the door will be shut, the opportunity will be over. Can you picture in your mind those people? Now, remember this. It tells us that there, and I think it's verse number four, that God tells them that after seven days, remember, 
They've entered into the ark just as God told them to. And God says, after seven days, it's going to start raining. It's going to keep raining for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm going to flood the earth. They've got seven days of opportunity, as I see it. Seven days here now of extended opportunity. The door is open during that time. I can almost see the crowd gathered out there. They've never seen anything like the ark. Some of them might have invited their friends. Hey, you've got to come and visit us. We're going to take you down to see the ark. I mean, you've never seen anything like this. It's absolutely amazing. So they're standing there and they're looking at that ark and they're wondering about that nutcase, you know, inside with this family. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people have criticized Noah, the fact, you know, that he wasn't able to convince his generation to repent of their sins and turn to God and they, Mark him off as though he was some kind of a failure. I'll tell you one thing. He got his family in the ark, and that's better than most of us are doing. Amen. Don't you criticize him till all your family is safe in the ark. But they're standing there, and they're watching this. And day after day goes by seven days, and all of a sudden the door is shut. And the raindrops start falling. Did you know it's never rained before at that point? This is something new. God had an entirely different system for watering the earth in that day, and it hadn't rained before. They've never seen anything like this. It might be at first they're excited. Look at this water falling down from heaven. And so they're wondering about it. And maybe like little kids, they're out there playing in the rain, stomping in the puddles. But after a while, the, the water begins to rise, and it's getting higher and higher and higher. And, and you can see them perhaps beating on the door until their knuckles are bleeding, trying to get in. But God has shut the door, and it's too late. You, you can see them perhaps as the, as the ark begins to, to lift off of the ground, maybe clinging to the side and, and struggling and screaming and trying to get in, and it's all in vain. Let me tell you, there'll be no way in after God shuts the door. In light of that fact, what are you going to do? I'm convinced that there's a great many people that are pretending. They've been pretending. They keep pretending. And, and week after week, they attend Sunday school in church, and they hear the Word of God, and they, oh, they love the songs. They, they like God's people. They enjoy being there. But they've never actually repented and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're just pretending you know, the easiest thing in the world to do is to pretend to be a Christian, especially in this day and age where, you know, the, the, where there's no difference between the world and Christians. I mean, they, everybody lives just alike. I mean, how do you tell the difference? All you gotta do is get a Bible under your hand. Oh, you don't need that nowadays. A lot of, 
So-called Christians don't ever carry the Bible. They don't need a Bible. You know, just show up for church. Just sing a few of the songs. And you can convince people that, that you're a Christian. It's easy to do. And a lot of people are just pretending. There are a lot of other people that are presuming. In other words, they're presuming that, that all will end well. It'll be all right. I know, you know, that old fuddy-duddy preacher, Brother Stone, he thinks he's got it all figured out. And he, he thinks he knows all of the facts. And, and, but I just don't agree with him. All, all, all he does want to talk about that Baptist doctrine. You keep saying you must be born again, and I'll have him to know I'm a good person. I'm a good neighbor. I don't, you know, I don't beat my wife, and I don't do this, and I don't, I'm just as good as he is. And, and you know what? You might be better than I am, but that's not that's not the issue. The issue is whether or not you've been born again, and just presuming that everything's going to turn out okay. Is a fool's game because it's not going to turn out okay. You can pretend, you can presume, but then there's another problem. A lot of folks are preoccupied with things. I mean, their, their mind is on all of the things of the world and, oh, you know, they, they don't mind attending church once in a while and as long as it doesn't, you know, as long as it doesn't cramp their style, as long as it doesn't get in the way of what they want to do, they don't mind that. Little religion's good for anyone, you know. That's kind of the way they look at it. But they're so preoccupied with the things of the world, they don't have time for Christ. And it's not so much that they are denying Him as it is they're just crowding Him out of their life. He's just not all of that important right now. And then there are others that are procrastinating. If you sit down and have a conversation with them and you take the Bible and show them from the Bible that they have sinned and judgment is coming and God has provided a way of salvation and they would agree with everything you say, but they know they ought to do something about it, but, you know, someday, someday I'll do that. I want to become a Christian someday. I love what someone said one time, said God's gifts of mercy are packaged in the todays of our lives. God's gifts of of mercy are packaged in the todays of our life. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You see, you don't have one single promise that you can be saved tomorrow or tonight or at 2 o'clock this afternoon. You, You can't find that promise anywhere. The only promise is, is that now is the time of salvation. And there's a lot of people need to think about that. If you look in chapter 6 and verse number 3, I want you to notice, And the Lord said, and listen, He said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years In other words, God is saying, Look, I'm going to give them an opportunity to repent They have the same opportunity that Noah does. They can come into the ark also, but their day shall be 120 years, and my spirit shall not always strive with man. You see, 
you can reach that point in life to where you continually reject the Lord Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again until finally, finally God says, I'll just leave you alone. We see that in Romans chapter number 1, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. I mean, you want to reject Christ? You want to play that game? And God will just give you over. The door is shut. You're healthy and you're wealthy and you're walking on the earth and everything seems to be all right, but you are just as sure of hell as if you were already there. Yeah, you say, well, preacher, can that really happen to, to people? Absolutely. It happened to an entire generation here. It's happened to others. Esau sought a place of repentance and could not find it. You see, he had crossed that deadline. There's a poem. I don't have time to read all of it. I, I had it somewhere in my Bible for years and years and, and couldn't find it this morning. But it says, There is a time we know not when, a point we know not where, the mark that marks the destiny of men to glory or despair. There is a line by us unseen that crosses every path the hidden boundary between God's patience and His wrath. Back in ancient times, whenever nations went to war with one another and they, they took prisoners and they naturally couldn't build a prison or a jail big enough for all of them, so they put them all within a circle and guards around the circle and that circle was called the deadline because if they were to step out of the circle, they were killed immediately. That's what we mean when we talk about crossing the deadline. And it's possible for you to cross that deadline to where God will no longer strive with you, the Spirit of God will no longer deal with you. And just as Pharaoh hardened his heart, the Bible then in turn says, and God hardened his heart. And there are so many people that are procrastinating, they just keep putting it off and they know deep down the preacher is right, grandma was right, grandpa was right. They tried to warn me and someday I'm going to become a Christian and it just goes on and on and on. And one of these days, it'll be too late. I'm so glad that the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you glad for His patience? Something interesting about the flood, and we oftentimes think about God as being in a big hurry to just send us to a devil's hell, which isn't true. Give you an example of that. Methuselah, we all know about Methuselah, lived longer than anybody else on the earth, 969 years. And if you just go back just a couple of chapters and read the story and put together all of the events, here's what you need to remember. The word or the name Methuselah means when he is dead, it shall be sent. 
And he lived longer than anybody has ever lived on the earth. But when he died is when the flood came. You see, God gave them one opportunity after another, after another, after another. And they just kept neglecting it. Just like I'm afraid a lot of folks are doing. And this is what breaks a pastor's heart because you just know deep down within. You see people that have no peace. They have no joy. It might be, it might be that there are some other things in their life that are very unchristian-like. And you can't help but wonder, you know, are they just, you know, badly backslidden or have they never actually received Christ as their Savior? I've got some kids in that condition. And it troubles me to think about the fact that some of my kids, some of my children, that have heard the gospel no doubt thousands of times and had one opportunity after another. And every one of them would have to say, I know I need to be a Christian. And it's a scary thought to think about dismissing this service and going our way and some people that are like-minded being here this morning, you're going, you're going to keep pressing it more and more until one of these days you'll cross that hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. And it'll be too late. D.L. Moody was one of the most famous preachers that ever lived. He's even been called by some of the greatest evangelists, you know, and, you know, and, the last hundred or so years, everybody's heard of D.L. Moody and the great work that he did. There was a time in Chicago when D.L. Moody was preaching there, and it was back in 1871 in October, October the 8th, 1871. He was preaching to a large crowd that day. In fact, it was the largest crowd that he had ever preached to. It was on a Sunday. And the text for his message was found in Matthew 27, verse 22, where Pilate says, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? He comes down to the end of the message, and this is what he said, quote, I wish you would take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the week, and next Sabbath we will come to Calvary and the cross, and we will decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. That ended his message. Ira Stanky, who was the great famous song leader, stood up and began to lead the congregation in singing this hymn. Today the Savior calls for refuge fly. The storm of justice falls and death is nigh. That's as far as they got. Because all of a sudden, the signal, the bells and the whistles and everything else began to ring. They never finished the hymn because all of a sudden, the fire engines were racing the best they could in that day down the street and the great Chicago fire took place. It destroyed a good portion of Chicago. Three and a half square miles. The flames didn't die out till the morning of October the 10th. Over 300 people had lost their lives. 
Over 100,000 people were left homeless as a result of that fire. The total expense, and keep in mind, this was back in that day and damage, $192 trillion. It almost destroyed D.L. Moody. He thought for a while that he would never be able to preach again because he had closed that service without actually giving an invitation for people to come to Christ. And he said, I have never since dared to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. If they were lost, they might rise up in judgment against me. I've never seen that congregation since. I, I, I will never meet those people until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night, which I've never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people and then and there and try to bring them to a decision on the spot, I would rather have that right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide what to do with Jesus. You make no mistake about it. When you walk out of here today, you will have made a decision. You will have either accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, or you will will have rejected Him and trampled underfoot the precious blood that was shed for you. But nobody's going to leave neutral. And if you walk out of here without Christ, you are in the most dangerous, precarious place you could possibly be. One heartbeat, one breath away from eternity without Christ. Listen, I, I don't know how to even put it. I beg you this morning... If you're here and you don't know 100% that you'd go to heaven if you died, don't you leave this building till you get that settled. Brother Kenneth or I, one will take the Bible and we'll do our very best to show you how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's time for you to stop pretending, stop procrastinating, stop being preoccupied with everything else and focus your attention on your spiritual need And come into the ark of safety by trusting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Would you do that right now? I sure hope so. I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing. To to think about leaving here and starting that drive up to the Ozarks, you know, and uh, it sure make it a whole lot better for one thing if I... If I just had some way of knowing that every person in this building is saved, it's a hard thing to walk away from a congregation whenever you just feel in your heart there's some folks that need to be born again. Don't you wait until it's too late. We don't know the day or the hour. And he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, and the Christians will be gone, and you'll be doomed. Don't let that happen, because it's your choice. God made a way. Get on board while we stand. Father, 
I pray, Lord, this morning that you'll speak to hearts. For those of us that have been saved, God, help us to do our very best to help others get on board. Help us to stop playing games and fiddling around and doing things that are of of, of no importance and to focus on warning our loved ones of the wrath to come. And Heavenly Father, for those that are here today that have never been saved, God, help them to not put it off another day, another minute. May the Holy Spirit walk up and down these aisles and move in the hearts of people and bring them to a consciousness of their sinfulness and draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. For we beg it in Jesus' dear name. Amen. While we stand and as we sing, would you come? Whatever it is God would have you to do, come on. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O thankful this morning and of course as I said earlier I knew this was coming I've already spoken to Jack and and Felicia and uh, they they mentioned here a few weeks ago that uh, they want to become members of the church and I spoke with them Felicia has been saved and baptized in the Baptist church and Jack's been saved and and was immersed but not in under the authority of a Baptist church so he's coming this morning for baptism, and uh, she by letter. So, Sandy, if you'll come up and get that information. All those in favor of the let, be, let it be known that lift the hand. All opposed, like sign. There's none. Jack is going to go back, and he's going to get ready, and we're going to have a baptismal service in just a minute. But the good news doesn't end there. We've got more good news. This is Tiffany. I'm not sure I know how to say your last name, sir. Sorlazano. This is Tiffany, and I don't have the children's name, but they've all been saved. They were in the office early this morning. They've all trusted Christ as their Savior and, and were baptized in the Baptist church, and it's uh, Hilltop Baptist Church. And they come by promise of letter this morning. All those in favor, let me know to uplift the hand. All opposed, like sign. So you all can be seated right there. And uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, I'm going to let Brother Kenneth take over the invitation here, and we'll be preparing for the baptism. And uh, and there's a, another kiddo up here. And so one of the things Jack wanted to make sure that the children were here, so they brought them over from Children's Church so they can witness this. And I'd like for the rest of you to remain standing for just a minute. And uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> Kenneth's going to come, and I'll let him do as the Lord leads. 
but again, I, I want to say, all of this is great news, wonderful news. But boy, I sure hate to walk away from here today thinking that there might be someone here that's never actually received Christ as their Savior. And if that's you, if you don't know that, would you come and tell Brother Kenneth and settle it this morning while we sing? I praise Thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill Thy word and Ah. Uh.